If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to Luke 21, 25 to 28. And I will be reading in the New Living Translation. And there will be strange events in the skies, signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And down here on earth, nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate that they see coming upon the earth and because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive in the clouds with power and great glory. So when you see all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for your salvation is near. The word of the Lord. So when Todd asked me to preach a few months ago for the first Sabbath of the Advent first Advent celebration, I was honored and humbled. But first, I had to double check that I wouldn't be so far along in, in this pregnancy um, that I would potentially do a reenactment of the nativity scene. Um, I imagine that the text that I would be talking about would have something to do very clearly with the first advent. Something about, you know, expectancy of new life and, you know, the following a star, or even sheep and shepherds. So you can imagine my surprise when he sent me this text. There was this awkward pause after he sent it and I read it over. And it was over text, so it was that like bubble thing that just lingered there as I tried to find the right words to say first advent or second. You know I haven't preached since I was 12 and it was a pathfinder. Are you sure? But I relented and just said, okay. Um, I'm gonna read the text again, and I'm gonna add a couple of verses from a little later in the chapter to kind of give you a sense of what we'll be talking about today. So again, Luke 21, verses 25 to 28, and then 34 to 36. And there will be strange events in the skies, signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and down here on earth, nations will be in turmoil perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. The courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate that they see coming upon the earth, because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up for your salvation is near. Continuing in verse 34. Watch out. Don't let me find you living in careless ease and drunkenness or filled with the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware as in a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep constant watch and pray that if possible, you will escape these horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So here's the deal. The time of trouble is my very least subject, 
favorite subject, I should say, very least favorite subject in the whole Bible. And I think I know why. On one hand, we're supposed to expect and experience really horrific things. And at the same time, we're supposed to be fine with it. And that's hard for me. And it has been hard for me since I was a kid. That's one of the joys of growing up in this church, or probably in any church, where you're exposed to things before you really understand what everyone's talking about. And to make it all worse, I was a painfully literal child. My husband might argue that I have not outgrown this quality that much to this day. Between my limited understanding of the many homophones in the English language, really complicated topics became even more complicated for me. My parents, however, were very strict about the type of worldly influences I was exposed to, and my brother. Uh, I remember my dad wouldn't let us watch a different world because he would tell me, you're from this world. <laughs> but no one turned the dial when sermons about the end times got hot and heavy. So I sat there trying to make a lot of sense of what we were learning, what to expect, and how to embrace it all. Now to put it all in context, I really was confused. So I used to watch the news, and I for could never understand why anyone would want to kill cereal, much less go to jail for it. I never could understand what Dr. Kevorkian, an elderly doctor in Michigan, had anything to do with teenagers in uh, Japan, China, or any part of Asia, for that matter. Because um, I could hear youth in Asia, duh. Likewise, when a pastor said Jesus was coming and he was coming very soon, I worried he might be talking about before potluck. When lift up the trumpet, which was in heavy rotation in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid, the sound of every trumpet was somewhat alarming. <laughs> I think to this day I'm traumatized and I can't really enjoy jazz because of the trumpets. Even the simple task of looking out into the sky and seeing clouds was a chore because if you looked hard enough, it maybe had knuckles or fingernails or could have started off at the size of a man's hand. I don't know. These were the things that were heavy on my mind. I even remember distinctly um, feeling like, you know, God is coming so soon. I got on my, on my knees and I prayed one of the most sincere prayers. I said, Lord, please don't come until I get a driver's license. I want to drive. That was 30 years and like six car accidents ago, okay? The only thing at that time that felt sooner and more pressing than the actual time Jesus would come was this time before then. That was the time of trouble. And at first, you know, my thoughts of dread were pretty tame. I thought we would my family and I would leave southern Michigan by foot like the Von Trapps and walk to you know, Kentucky or Pennsylvania, someplace with mountains or caves, and just wait it out. But as I got older, I started to realize that the world had been freaking out, and for good reason. Better yet, as, as Paul put it, I'm sorry, as Luke put it in uh, uh, verse 26, 
Um, the world, sorry, the courage of many people will falter because of their, the, the fearful fate they see coming upon the earth because the stabilities of the very heavens will be broken up. And it wasn't like a new thing. There's been a lot of reasons for people to be concerned. When I was 10, I, my family and I experienced, fortunately from the comfort of Michigan, um, the horrors of the Rwandan genocide where day in and day out the news and the phone would ring of news that another family member had passed away. Over 100 days, we lost over 100 people. And that is, that's you know, that, a small number when you think about that Rwanda is the size of Maryland and a million people were gone in a summer. And I thought, these aren't the horrors of the, of the end times. Then of course there was the panic of Y2K, the inconceivable idea that clocks could go from 1999 to 2000 without economic and world collapse. And that was 18 years ago. Then there was 9-11, which was shocking for the whole world. And it was a time where even if you weren't in this country, you thought a place that seemed immune to these things experienced these things. I even remember a pastor who had this theory that all the time of trouble events were somehow connected to the number 11 that there was 11 letters in Afghanistan, and when the Twin Towers were standing, they looked like an 11. It was, it was out there. And I'm sure, had I been 11, I would have been uh, even more scared, but fortunately, I was not. I say all these things because even um, in, in the midst of all this that's happening, we had the natural disasters of every sort. There was wars and rumors of wars that are to the point where it's like, Okay, of course, this is, this is our, our, our livelihood. And I do believe that in verse 27, Luke is trying to be comforting when he says, and at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But as someone who's impatient and has grown accustomed to the GPS navigation that will tell me within a few minutes exactly how to get anywhere on planet Earth, that just seems even more unnerving. Soon, then, what is that? So it just seems hard to make me probably more anxious to have really vague approximations of when to be ready for the most important appointment of mankind. Just imagine, if you will, that you brought someone or some, you met someone from a tiny, insignificant town like Berrien Springs, Michigan, and you were trying to give them directions from Soho to Advent Hope. And here's what you told them. You said, keep in mind, Bering Springs is one stoplight. First, you're gonna see strange and upsetting things. Then, you'll see people who are distressed and or drunk. And that is when you'll know you're almost there. That could all happen in one city block. And it would be amazing if they got even to West 4th Street before really thinking they've arrived. And I think so many times that these different goalposts and traumatic events that the world has had that we may still only be at West 4th Street, but the journey continues beyond to finally get home. Back to the text. Thir verse 34, be careful, for your, or, um, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down 
with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life that that day will come as a sudden trap. For it will come to all those who live on the face of the, of the earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape it, um, escape all that will happen and that you may be able to be able to stand in front of the Son of Man. One of the impressions that I have always gotten about the people who will not be ready, the foolish virgins, if you will, are the people who are drunk, who are careless, who are just painfully unaware. Not the conscientious, proactive, goodly Christians that are probably more prone to anxiety because of all of these things that they are always paying attention to. And that really got me thinking. How it can be that we are all even part of the business of preparing for this second coming, but could possibly entirely miss it. Now before I continue, I wanna share some context with you. I was born and branded with the understanding of just how precious and um, powerful being able to bring a child into this world is. When I'm the oldest of two, and before my parents could have me, they struggled with being able to conceive for years. My mother likened herself to Hannah. And had she had a boy first, his name would have been Samuel. But uh, she did not. But she did name me Saba. And in their native tongue, it means to ask or even to beg. So I've always known how precious this this opportunity is. So it, it's not lost on me how, how pressured it is to, to get pregnant, to stay pregnant, and to bring a life into this world. But I have a confession. I don't enjoy pregnancy. I don't. I know it's not the great thing to say, but it's really hard. 90% after the excitement of what's to come and the hopes and the dreams, can be pretty terrible, um, quite honestly, until the other side of that. And in pre preparing for this and thinking about this time and what we have on the other side of it, I wanted to share a cautionary story with you about how not to prepare for the second coming. That said, this is my story and this is my song. I was a young and healthy 27-year-old pregnant woman, until I wasn't. At some point in my pregnancy, I started having this weird pain, and I was complaining to my doctor about it, and probably in the grand scheme of things, at my age and general health, she was like, it's fine. You're growing a small human. It's going to be uncomfortable. Deal with it. You'll be fine. But it kept getting worse. And due to a few factors, um, one morning I woke up after we had traveled and um, I, I, I noticed my leg was a little swollen. I woke up one morning and I could not move. Could not move. I had not even taken a Tylenol and not, you know, the first pregnancy, you don't even drink juice that's not labeled. You just, you, you take every precaution. I took a little bit of a Tylenol um, and I called, I called my boss and said, I, I can't come in today or I'm just gonna go check something out. It's probably nothing. Let me 
call you later. So I went to the emergency room, and I tried to get the sympathy of doctors who are seeing real emergencies and say, you know, something's not right. I think I, think I have a blood clot, and I really would like if you could just, just take the scan. And they're like, no, it's sciatica, it's this, it's that. They really argued with me for hours. For hours, I was in the hospital. And finally, I wore someone down. Probably the end of their shift, they didn't care. Let them go. And um, they sent some student to go do my scan and get me to be quiet. And sure enough, I was right, even though I didn't want to be right. There was a two-foot-long blood clot in my left leg. They had no idea how long it had been there, how it was possible that it hadn't moved. But it was a pretty intense moment. This hotshot maternal fetal medicine doctor, which I did not know was even a classification in the scale of OBs, was uh, strolled into my um, ICU room, literally had like his whole um, motorcycle uniform or outfit on, still had his, his helmet in his hand, and, and like 12 interns followed him. I went from being some, you know, watching Grey's Anatomy to being the subject of Grey's Anatomy. And he said, I don't know how it is that you're still alive. And I'm not sure how you, you know, were able to figure out what was going on. I said, you know, I think it was, I think it was my guardian angel, you know, the correct, you know, Christian answer. And um, he said, well, your, your guardian angel is going to need some Gatorade to get you through this. I would sit in the ICU and be told not to move for four days before being moved to the stable floor. Because I was pregnant, they couldn't remove the clot. So they gave me a lot of instructions before I left on when to be concerned. Now, it's a whole, legal, it's a whole team now. There's a cardiologist, there's an internist, there's a hematologist, there's an interventional radiologist, things I, I just didn't even know you would, a human could need. Um, and of course, there was an OB team. So four of the five doctors who have very different concerns around liability would say, hey, you know, if you feel shortness of breath, immediately go to the emergency room. It could be that you're having a pulmonary embolism. And then the OB would be like, well, it could be that there's a small human sitting on your lungs, and that's why you can't breathe. So you know, balance all of those things. And then they would say, OK, well, listen, um, you know, if you feel any, any chest pain, it could be that you've, you know, this could be the pulmonary embolism. And my OB was like, you know, it, it could also be heartburn. You know, just keep that in mind. And then, you know, they still had to deal with the clot, so they gave me an intense amount of blood thinners. And so while um, that was just meant to keep it from getting worse, they said, all right, well, you're on this blood thinner. It's not going to hurt the baby, but you have to, you know, avoid falling, avoid, you know, cutting food, avoid eye contact because of internal bleeding. It was a lot. And all I could do was wait and look for the signs. Well, I got really lucky. Clearly, I'm still here. And um, three, but three months later, by a combination of miracle and blood thinners, the whole clot dissolved. No one could tell me why, but I didn't care. I was just grateful. But I still was under a lot of pressure to make sure another clot didn't form. So everything was critical, and yet nothing was critical. So. Time would go on, we would get super close. I was always looking, you know, even little things like, okay, 
oh, I see some swelling in my leg, and the doctors will be like, well, you're pregnant. Uh, it's normal to swell. Um, and I would go without, without incident. But probably two days before my due date, I went into the doctor's office, and by then I kind of knew all the questions that they would ask about, you know, what's, what's the maintenance and, you know, things related to the clot and even, you know, overall pregnancy things. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling great, I'm fine, I'm sure, you know, she's not ready to go, come yet. And uh, I said, you know, I've been really thirsty. Like, I drank a whole gallon of grape juice yesterday. I don't know if that's normal. And he kind of looked at me like, let's check something. Apparently, I was in labor. And like, not recent labor, but pretty active labor and completely oblivious. And I say, I shared part of that because I think, looking back at that whole time, I was so concerned with the part to look for that would preserve this life, my life, that I was com completely unaware of when the signs that my water had broke, that I was experiencing contractions, was setting me up to receive the life that was to come. And I think that can be part of the trap with whatever noble cause that we're thinking about and focused on in this life that we can miss the big picture. And I'm not a bad person for not wanting to die of a pulmonary embolism, but the complications that arose from me not being aware that I probably had been in labor for two or three days caused a chain reaction on the other side that, again, we're very fortunate to have lived through, but maybe could have been avoided, maybe could have been better handled had I not been, had, had I had a little bit more awareness. So that was the message for me. Now, I share this again because we're all doing good things with life. And we're all experiencing some form of dealing with the bad that comes with the good to come, I'm sure. But I think in all of these things, even thinking about how scary the, sec like the time of trouble could be, that there is really, really, really good news. And that is, no matter how bad it is, no matter if we all experience or not, that time of pain will give birth to a life that is perfection. There will be no diaper changing in this life. There will be no sleepless nights due to crying in this life. There will be no tears in this life. There will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no traffic over the GW Bridge. There will be no New York City rent. There will be not only this chance for a perfect life, but there will also be the chance to trade in our blurry, ultrasound-like image of who God is and sit with him face to face for all of eternity. And I have to tell you, of all the things I've ever heard, this is literally the best news there is. Thank you.